Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to another series of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. It is the start of Series 2. Series 1 was just such a blast. I just, I just didn't want to leave it there basically. And today I have such an amazing guest. Uh, She's a TV presenter, a sugar-free guru, (laughs) a fitness fanatic, a mum of three. It's Davina McCall! Can't believe you're here. I'm rather excited that I'm the first guest of Series 2. I know, you're literally starting with a bang. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm going to have to deliver now. Please do. Deliver. Please do. (laughs) Um, So this is all about being a mum. And uh, and I've I've read uh, parts of your book, uh, Lessons I've Learned, Mm -hmm. uh, about being the mum when uh, you talk about pregnancy and the mm. things that people say to you when you're mm-hmm. pregnant and we've all seen you being pregnant because yeah, Big Brother so funny, kind of isn't it? yeah it's like you documented your pregnancy on Big Brother well I just showed you some photos of my kids and it was quite funny because I went well there's Holly she was series two that was <laughs> Brian and this is Tilly she was series four that was Cameron <laughs> and Chester series seven that was Pete um, so that's and if ever I meet somebody in the street with my kids uh, and they'll go, oh, my God, are these your kids? Because obviously I don't put pictures no. of them anywhere just to sort of safeguard their their privacy. And um, and I'll go, yeah, Big Brother Series 2. And if they're my sort of age, mm. they'll be like, oh, my goodness. You know, it's quite funny. Holly's like, oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> but it's lovely, yeah. though. Yeah. I can't believe it's 17 Yeah, years. yeah, it's quite mad, isn't it? Yeah. So did people have a lot to say when you're pregnant about your body and, or is it just something that you've been really aware of? I think... Because it, it feels at, like at everyone time, has something to say, whether it's, oh, you're not really... Oh, aren't you tiny? Or are you carrying twins? Or At, you know. the, at the time, I was um, almost one of the first people to carry on working right through until month eight right. of pregnancy. I hadn't really seen I think Nana Cherry had sung and done that video of man child with being really massively pregnant I think but I hadn't ever seen uh, a TV presenter that big presenting an entertainment program um, running around with sort of trainers on and so 
I got a lot of comments and I felt um, I didn't like being pregnant at all. My, I, I felt that my redeeming feature um, is my stomach. Like my legs and my bum have always been quite sort of healthy looking, but my tummy was always flat. And when I was pregnant, my one really good bit went like I was like, no, there's no oh keeping. no, there's. A... And I, um, I was not a football up your t-shirt pregnancy person. I was a, I'm pregnant everywhere. My cheeks, my neck, my arms, my ankles. I remember after I gave birth, looking at my feet and thinking, oh, there are bones in my feet. <laughs> this is amazing. I mean, I literally committed the cardinal sin and my first pregnancy, I just wore Crocs all summer. <laughs> like, I just was just in Crocs the entire time. It's terrible. People felt, I guess, because they knew me and I was quite high profile at the time, that they would always either want to touch me, which I quite liked, mm. but lots of people don't. But I always ask, do you ask, can I touch your bump? Yeah. I'd never yeah, just no, go in. No, never just go in, no, even if I know the person. It's funny, isn't it? Mm. People feel like, and people definitely felt like they kind of could own my bump. I didn't I didn't actually mind it. I'm quite a physical, touchy person. But um, so they'd always just go in for a feel and then they'd say, wow, you're massive. I mean, that was the second thing. And I'd think to myself, you know, I am conscious of the fact that I'm big, and I'm big all over, and I don't really feel good about it. And you telling me that when I'm quite sensitive already because I've got lots of hormones running around me is not making me feel better about myself. Yeah. It's making me feel terrible. And that kind of, oh, are you having twins type, ha, ha, ha. It's not funny. No. It's not funny. And the other really huge cardinal sin, I think, is when a woman that's had a bad experience at birth and... My heart goes out to any woman who's had a bad experience at birth because it stays with you for a long time. Mm. But if you have and you see a pregnant woman, just zip it. Don't tell the pregnant lady about, oh, good luck with that. You know, I had the worst time ever. I had von twos and forceps <laughs> and they had to have an episiotomy. I mean, just don't, just zip it. Tell me. Tell me, the woman that's had three children years ago, I'm definitely not going to have any more because that ship has sailed. T tell me, I'd be more than happy to comfort you about your terrible birth, but don't tell the pregnant lady. I've read somewhere that you actually go over to pregnant people and yes, go, I do. <laughs> do you? Mm. In, in, I mean, God forbid a pregnant lady gets into a lift with me because then she's a captive <laughs> audience because then it's like, I'll always say, I just wanted to let you know that I had three great births and I actually enjoyed the experience of giving birth. And when I gave birth to my third child, I was bereft at the idea that I would never give birth again. So I just wanted to let you know that because people will tell you horror stories and they always, without fail, go, why do they do that? Everybody's <laughs> telling me their horror story. Why is it? I said, I don't, I really don't it's know. It's not like people want to suddenly outdo each other. You know, oh no, but this yeah, happened to me. Well, they, and... And, I, and I get this too, that if you've had a bad experience, you in a way you feel robbed. Mm -hmm. You yep. feel robbed of this perfect birth that other people seem to have. And you want to let other people know that it might not be good. Yeah. Don't expect too much. Yeah. But actually, fear, um, in my in my opinion, and I, I'm not a midwife, but I, I've had three babies, so I've got some experience. Fear is the biggest blocker of a good birth. A, a, a birth or a labour passed in abject terror or fear is like... It's a sad experience because you're not allowing yourself to understand what an incredible vessel your body is. Like, when you... I mean, I honestly, I mean, can I just waffle on? Go for it. OK. So when, when you give birth, I remember thinking the first time I was pregnant, thinking, OK, when do I push? And mm -hmm. how will I know when to push? And I've watched all these TV series and they always go, push now. And you think, like, how do you know that oh, you're supposed to push? Like, I didn't get the pushing thing and I thought, I'm not going to know when to push. I, I... Nobody told me that it isn't pushing. Mm -hmm. Your body, 
because pushing sort of feels like it's an action that you mentally take and you then say, I am going to push this baby out. My babies were expelled by my body. I had, I mean, I felt like, oh my God, I could I could be in a coma and this baby would still come out. That's how I felt about Buddy. Literally five times this like whooshing motion came over my tummy and it literally was like my body took over. I just had to breathe and let it do its thing. And that's quite frightening. Yeah. I I wish that I had known that my body was going to expel it because I wasn't prepared for it at all. Mm. But then the second and third time I started, I was in water for the second and third and I started to watch my tummy and this chudder that would come from the bottom of my stomach and it would kind of chudder all the way up and then push it push down and yeah. I'll be like this is amazing isn't it crazy I mean it's the cleverest most awesome thing literally after having buzz I was like mm. that was the most amazing thing mm. I've ever done so you liked giving birth yeah I did hypnobirthing both times yeah. and it sounds like I didn't you... actually physically do hypnobirthing but I think I was hypnobirthing without knowing yes I was exactly exactly yeah because we did loads of things where we'd sit and we'd kind of do breathing and the lead up to it and stuff which to be honest I think it was just nice for me and Tom to Relaxing have that bonding. time yeah mm. and think about our baby and things mm. like that and uh, and so it was just like breathing so if Tom saw me frown because then he'd know that I was tensing up he'd kind of be like breathe and I'd breathe and then I could feel my oh. body relaxing and just you know and just uh, and just letting my body do its thing because mm. fear is the biggest biggest you mm. know well it's the biggest closer of cervixes exactly I think and you were meant to go to hospital weren't you and you mm. didn't you opted to have home mm. births so when I was seven weeks pregnant or whatever, I went to my doctor and she was kind of giving me all the options. And she said, well, you could go and see an obstetrician. I've got this great guy. He's so lovely and he can help you with your pregnancy. So I was thinking, I thought that like everybody saw an obstetrician. I had no idea what yeah. I was doing. And she went, and, you know, if you want, you could have an elective caesarean. And I was like, I'm not sure I want an elective caesarean. I I think I'd quite like to try and, you know, give birth. And she was like, whatever you like. And I remember after my first meeting with the obstetrician, and I've got nothing against obstetricians. They are fantastic people. And when there's a crisis, you want a great obstetrician yeah. at your birth because they will help you and keep you and your baby safe. So they're amazing people. But in a low-risk pregnancy which I was I was young I was 33 I was under the sort of old mother um, (laughs) age I was a low risk birth I didn't need to think about all the things that could go wrong Mm. I wasn't unwell I could have just seen a midwife and after my first meeting with the obstetrician and he kept talking in terms of all the things that could go wrong and you need to watch out for this and we need to watch out for that and we'll do this if that happens and I kept thinking but you what happens if it all just goes right? Like, yeah. don't lots of women just have births that just go right? And then I happened to meet a woman when I was about 20 weeks pregnant who said she had her babies at home. And I sat next to her at a dinner party and I literally grilled her, like, all night. And she kept talking about things like loving giving, but I'd never heard anybody say she loved giving birth. And I was like, are you kidding me? It's got to hurt. And she went, yeah, of course it hurt. Of course it hurt, like you're getting a baby out of your stomach. (laughs) Um, But it's safe pain and I kept talking to myself and I'd repeat like phrases to myself and she just sounded so happy about it and calm and like she wanted to do it again and I thought, I want some of that. Mm. I want what you've got. Obviously, I'm clean so I don't take drugs and I don't um, drink alcohol and I avoid any kind of mood-altering substance um, apart from music. Right. Music, mood-altering, <laughs> and I do a lot of that. But um, So I didn't want to go down the pethidin or the gasanair route yeah. or um, I wanted to avoid an epidural. I just wanted to try and kind of go, like, with my body. So I went to visit this midwife called Caroline Flint, who's an absolute legend in uh, midwife circles. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and she went, don't you look lovely? And I was like, oh, I think I'm a bit big. And she went, big, you're perfect. This is the perfect size. Oh. And I thought, oh, I love you. I love you. (laughs) It's funny how someone can make you feel at ease straight away. And I always say to women, you look perfect. Mm. You look gorgeous. Absolutely glowing. Because you are vulnerable when you're pregnant. You're very vulnerable. Anyway, I never saw another doctor again. 
Um, I did all my blood tests through Caroline. I um, She was an independent midwife. I was very lucky because um, I had enough money to pay for an independent midwife. So I had two independent midwives at the birth of each child. And Pam, who was Caroline's partner at that birth, went on and delivered my next two babies. And so I had the same midwife at every birth. That's so uh, and it And it really was. We laughed. We cried. I waddled around my house looking like a beached whale with <laughs> naked. I, you know, and these midwives, they're amazing because... I remember being on the loo to just labour for a bit. Yeah. The loo's actually really comfortable place because <laughs> the seat's kind of, it's just comfy. And I remember with Tilly, because Tilly went much quicker than Holly, and uh, the midwife looked at me and she went, we need to get you in the pool now. And I said, I don't want to get in the pool just in case it all slows down because it slowed down with Holly and I, I don't want that to happen. And she went, get in the pool. And literally, as soon as she said that, I went, oh. And then I had to crawl on all fours I had to crawl to the pool because the head was literally oh crowning. Gosh. And I was like, get me in the pool. And Tilly was born minutes later. That's so yeah, amazing. Yeah, mega. Um, and you know it's not for everyone. But no, we, course, did, yeah. we did um, a lot of due diligence on home birth. We looked yeah. at all the statistics. We looked at my health, how I was. We took into account how close we were to the nearest hospital um, how long would it take us to get there? Does the hospital know? All of these things that matter a lot. Obviously, after we'd had Holly, everything seemed a bit easier because yeah. we thought, well, we've done it once. We know what we're doing now. But you have to inform yourself. It's got to be something that you feel 100% comfortable with because fear yeah. is a closer of cervixes. Mm. <laughs> so you've got to feel more... I, I, I knew that I was going to feel more relaxed at home, which I did. It was It was really lovely and and sometimes you can plan for things and it just doesn't go that way yeah right? and again I I mean I don't I would have felt so disappointed mm. if I'd have had and my heart goes out to anybody who's planned for a home birth and ends up in hospital and conversely my heart goes out to anybody who's planned for a nice hospital birth with an epidural and all of that <laughs> and then ends up having an emergency birth at home you know yeah, that's yeah. also pretty traumatic yeah um, but a lot of the time, birth goes really beautifully mm -hmm. and I judge no one. Like, if you want to have a caesarean, have a caesarean. Yeah. Like, have the birth you want. If you want to have an epidural, have an epidural. I saw this amazing thing, this amazing post, where someone said that they were watching their kids' nativity play and they were like, I couldn't tell who was born by selective uh, yeah. C-section. I couldn't tell who yeah. was breastfed. I couldn't yeah. tell who, you know, who co-slips. That's lovely. You know, none of those things actually matter in the grand scheme of things. You've just got to do what works for you and, and just go with what happens at the moment. And it's also trying to empower mothers from the minute they get pregnant yeah. to make your own decision that's right for you. And after you've given birth, again, all my friends or my sisters-in-law in America or... Anybody that's having babies, or my sister in, in Australia, she's she had a baby a year ago. It's always about saying, what do you think? Yeah. Do, do you think he's colicky? What do you feel? Is he t Does he need to sleep because he's tired? It's about empowering a mother, not going, oh, you don't want to do that. You don't. Yeah. I mean, people just try and take mother's power away yeah. all the time. And actually, instinctively, 90% of the time, mothers know best. They just do. How how did you find becoming a mum? Because I think we always focus mm. so much on getting pregnant mm. and then actually, you know, mm. giving birth. After that, you've got a baby. Mm. How did you find becoming a mum? With Holly, I found it quite traumatic because I'd had such a long labour. Right. And so it took me quite a long time. It took me about two or three weeks to kind of get my head around having a baby. And then this idea of the buck stops with you. Mm. It's suddenly like such a responsibility and I, I thought that I was going to be a complete earth mother right. and um, I was going to naturally take to it and my baby's going to be the best behaved baby in the world because I'd had a home birth and I was such a hippie and it was all going to be amazing but actually I'd had a very long labour she was very sleepy, I was very neurotic and paranoid that she wasn't eating enough, she was fine mm. she was 8-12 when she was born so she, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with Holly <clears throat> but I, I, I worried a lot, I was a lot more neurotic than I thought and I felt like I calmed down a lot for Tilly. Mm. And then Chester I positively enjoyed. Like it was such a good experience because all of that confidence that I'd built in the first two, I could enjoy with the third. 
but I think with with the first, I was definitely quite taken aback with the way that I felt. And I didn't talk to anybody about it because I think everybody assumed that I was going to be great Earth Mother. So I, I didn't feel like I could go, I actually got no idea what I'm doing. The other thing that I found quite hard was that I didn't have a mum. I had my stepmom. My stepmom was pretty amazing. Mm. She lived in Portsmouth, so she wasn't around all the time. And, you know, after a week or so, they go home. Don't yeah. they? And you're like, don't leave me alone. Don't leave me home, How do baby. You know I, I need you more. I don't, know, I don't know what to do. And that's where you need somebody going, you do actually know what to do. Mm. And um, that's where the, my midwife stepped in, Pam, and she just kept coming back to me and just going, trust yourself. Mm. You, you know. So it was about trying to empower myself and give myself the confidence but it's tough. That first one was tough. I mean, and everybody finds it different. It's interesting. Some people just sail through the first baby and then say the second one, my God, double trouble, you know. I found it the opposite. The first one, also the first one had a huge impact on our relationship because we'd ultimately just been so selfish, Matthew and I, yeah. of like, you know, coming back from lunch on a Saturday and going to bed for two hours and, you know, suddenly none of that... All of that had gone. Oh, I remember him going to the pub and going, I'll come with... Oh, no, I went. <laughs> the baby's upstairs. It's a massive life it's changer, isn't it? It's huge, yeah. But at the same time, I look at my kids now and um, they are fantastic. Yeah. Like, I just love hanging out with my kids. I mean, we just... They're brilliant. They're humans. They're like yeah. young... Well, my girls are like young adults. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. But I think when they're newborns, you mm. know, you can't really see past that. No. And know, I, I mean, I had nights where I, I was literally feeling like, what have I done? Mm. Like, I think I've made a mistake and can I send them back? Mm. You know, and uh, and I and I, it's only through writing it in a book and actually having other mums go, I felt like that. Mm. And I, I haven't felt like I could voice that, that actually realise that it is, it's okay. Like, that's part of everything changing your emotions changing and, and hormones yeah everything like that my other big thing was about night feeds mm. and how to organize that i in a funny kind of way with holly i sort of wanted to punish matthew in some way and keep him up <laughs> like so we slept in the same bed yeah and um with the feeds i would turn the light on change the nappy you know the bedside light change the nappy get do the feed and i'd be thinking you know well like i'm sorry if you're awake whatever with the second one and the third one um we'd fall asleep in the same bed together but at the midnight feed he'd go up off and get in the spare room right and sleep and but which was which sounds which sounds would sound selfish right because you'd be thinking well the guy gets to go up and go. but actually my feeling was if one of us gets some sleep then they can like make tea or whatever for the other one yeah. the next day and also for me it was quite nice being able to turn on the telly yeah. i remember one night watching happy gilmore and uh, doing some feeding and changing the nappy and thinking oh this is actually quite nice yeah. i mean it's three o'clock in the morning but i can I can be awake without feeling guilty that I'm keeping Matthew awake. I used to watch 24 hours mm. of A&E mm. and just sit and sob. I, why I put myself through that, you know? I, oh, my God. Once I watched an episode of Casualty and I was pregnant and um, my friend was in it, Holly Ed, and she was playing an alcoholic mother and her daughter was in hospital with her and um, my mother was an alcoholic, right? Mm. So I was, like, really identifying with this yeah. story. I was catatonic. I was curled up in a fetal position in the kitchen <laughs> on the floor, like, oh, my God, this story is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so you have to be a bit careful what you, wa yeah. what you watch when you're hormonal. Yeah. Did you get the post-birth um, post blues, like, day three? Every time I'd cry on and day you, three. Yeah, the, the boobs. Milk oh, in. Yeah. Every time. The worst boob job in history. Yeah. And I go, I know, I'm crying because my milk's coming. <laughs> <laughs> There's just no consoling you, though, is there? It's like it's the worst thing ever. My sister came to stay with us when she'd just given birth and she was going through it, but there was just no reasoning. Like, you couldn't tell her that, that was happening. You just had to let her ride it. <laughs> ride it out, it's fine. And have you ever had mastitis? 
<clears throat> yes, I had it where for some reason I decided uh, we were going to a friend's house and I decided that I'd do two feeds with bottles. So I, I'd express when I got home, I thought. So I took express milk with us mm. Took uh, and didn't express while I was there. So I'd missed so two really... feeds. Oh, no. I was getting like cold chills. Oh, no. I felt so ill on the way home. Did you I... have to take medicine for it? Luckily not. Because I've got some tips right. here. Um, because I got mastitis twice in two separate births and um, it is, as everybody knows, extremely oh, painful and you, and you feel like oh. you're going to explode and I had red, angry veins oh. all running up my boobs and um, I treated it homeopathically and um, it, I don't... I'm not even 100% sure where the homeopathy works <laughs> Like, but if somebody says try this before you go to the doctors and overnight it got, it went away really so it's just an interesting option to try i don't know like before you go to the doctors and if you can't go to the doctors till the next morning or get some um run it by a homeopath and see if there's another way of doing it because that definitely helped me no one prepared mm. me for that fiery mm. feeling in my boobs mm. it's really hard and also no one quite prepared me for where do they go after you stop breastfeeding yeah I mean, literally socks with tennis balls in. Like, it's like you still got what, tennis balls in them. What? What? Where, where did they go? Like, but can I also send out a message to any new mummies out there who have just stopped breastfeeding mm. that they do come back a bit? Yeah. <laughs> Give hope. Not a hundred percent, but they definitely. But then we're never going to be eighteen again. So no. you know they're not going to go. Like, no, at some they're point not going to go yeah, anyway. Then they're going to go at some yeah. point. But I always look at my boobs and think I'm well done. Yeah, well done you. You actually fed a human. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. And it doesn't matter how long you feed the human for. It's still like awesome that milk mm -hmm. came out of your boobs that was enough for your baby to eat. I mean, unbelievable. And tummy as well. Yeah. Um, the tummy, I had three, I mean, my last one was £10 two, and I had enormous babies and the tummy will also come back. And I hope that to any new mummies out there, I am a good advert for when it's gone, don't think it's gone forever. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Let's talk about yeah, your fitness. fitness. Have mm. you always been this fit? Have you no. always? Haven't no, you? Oh, please, for the love of God, I was never chosen for the school team. <laughs> I was the child so was on the, the side point? and the sporty girls would be going, <laughs> her name, her name, and I'd be standing there going, please don't let me be last this time, Whereas please. Whereas now you'd be first. Uh, yes, and competitive. I mean, I've, like, out of nowhere, this sort of terrible competitive, like, for God's sake, don't put me in the mother's race because I'm a nightmare, but... So I'm not a natural sporty So person. at what point did you... Did it, was it a fitness thing? Was it a weight thing? At what mm. point did you suddenly go, I'm going to start doing this? Mm. What did you start with? You know? Well, weirdly, mm. I was pregnant right. with Tilly, who was okay. my second. So she's my middle one. Yeah. And um, I looked amazing. Uh, now I look back at pictures. I mean, I hated myself. And this is another thing, people. You're going to look back at pictures of yourself pregnant with your first child and go, God, I looked so hot and you would have... You know, you might be hating yourself the whole way through, but I look back at pictures of me now and I think, God, what was I going on about? It looked yeah. amazing. But I did slightly bounce back, but I never quite lost the weight because I knew a year after I had Holly that mm -hmm. I'd be cracking on again. Yeah. I'd try again. Yeah. So 
what's the point <laughs> in a funny kind of way you know you're gonna put it all on again like so I never really lost it all and I got pregnant again with Tilly but what frightened me was with Tilly I was showing at eight weeks like mm. big time and the baby wasn't even out of my pubis like <laughs> I mean it was like that down in the tucked down into your pelvis down there but my tummy looked proper jelly yeah I was like how does that happen so I called up a local trainer Jackie and um, she and Mark um, came and started training me pregnant which is quite interesting but really easy stuff watching my heart rate making sure it didn't go over 150 really taking care of myself and so then I really kicked into it about two months after I'd given birth to Tilly and got into it then. And they were responsible for making me enjoy it. Like I started really enjoying it. And it's the type of exercise you do, you've got to find something you like. Do you think you just got the bug then? I mean, still it was an effort. When you've got a new baby, yeah, I, you don't really want to exercise. But, you know, and I say this a lot, but you, I've never regretted a workout. Mm. But when you've got a baby, it's hard to get to the workout. And... One of the things that I, I've done uh, in the past is um, wake up in the morning and just get straight in the workout gear mm-hmm. when you've got a new baby because they might not have a sleep pattern down or anything, you know, and it might they, you might still be a couple of months in, you've got no idea when they're going to kip. But when they're going to kip, this is why I made workout DVDs. You know, and this is why the workouts are really short. <laughs> you've got 10 minutes, you're already in your workout gear. Get in that living room. And just give yourself 10 minutes because at the end of it, you'll feel like you've done something for you. And my God, with a new baby, you're always like 17th on the packing order, Mm -hmm. like important things in your day. I mean, I didn't wear makeup. I didn't do my nails. I didn't wax anything. I didn't, you know, I didn't look after myself at all because I had had a baby to look after. And that was the most important thing to me. But exercise and also, I mean, we talked a bit before about mental health, you Mm -hmm. know, after you've had a baby, it can be a very isolating place. I felt very isolated. None of my friends were really having babies. I had a couple of friends who had much older kids, but I I felt completely alone. I I didn't, unfortunately, join any NCT group because I was in the middle of doing Big Brother and I just... Did you kind of feel as well being in the public eye? Did you feel like if you'd have been in one of those groups, it would have been... Yeah, I did. But I was wrong. Because I think actually if I'd have gone, I don't think anybody would have given two hoots. They'd have just been excited I was having a baby. But I, if I could go back and do it all again, I'd have thrown myself in those groups. Yeah, I think I would have loved it. Because sometimes I think, you know, you you go to these, it's not really about the baby. Did you do it? Well, I didn't didn't do NCT because Tom couldn't sort of, having to commit every week Mm. for eight weeks, it was just, we just couldn't do it. Mm. Um, But we did do sort of baby sign groups when when, uh, Buzz turned 10 weeks. Mm. We were like, he needs to do some activities. I was silly. I joined like four different classes and that was too much. So I think my advice would be pick two classes that you like. What did you do? Uh, we stuck with baby sign and swimming. Um, swimming's amazing, right? So good. My son, Chester, because I did swimming with him and I'd learnt what to do with the first two, so mm. I taught him myself. He swam unaided without armbands or anything at 18 months. <gasps> That's incredible. Yeah, and he'd, he'd come up and the only thing that would come out of the water was his mouth <laughs> and nose. And he'd just go... And then just swim underneath the water again. He That's could, at, at 18 months old, he'd go to the end of a diving board, he'd <laughs> plop off the end of the diving board and then swim to the um, like ladder to get out of the pool <laughs> at the side. Yeah. And often lifeguards would try and get in and save him. So in the end, I started having to go to the lifeguards. This is my son. He can swim. I'll be next to him all the time. Yeah. But I'm just letting you know I'm not throwing an 18-month-old that can't swim in the <laughs> swimming <laughs> Another good tip is never let them wear armbands. Really? Never. It's, well, it's, become a dip, like, it's less yeah. work for you if they do, mm. but exactly, they become so dependent on them. Mm. I did Joe Jingles. Right. Um, you know, the music group. Yeah. Oh, my God, just love that. The thing is, it's not even about, it's not really about the children enjoying it. It's meeting, about meeting, meeting other mums. Mom. Yeah. And just having that little bit mm. of conversation, adult conversation, mm. a moan if you have to. Mm. And Baby realizing, massage, did you do that? Yes, we did a little love bit of that. Baby massage. Yeah. The yeah. kids loved it too. To sleep so well after yeah, it. so well. And and you touched upon your mum. Mm. Did, um, your mum's an alcoholic, mm. and did that, has that played a part in 
you thinking of, you know, you thinking of the mum that you want to be? Mm, huge. I mean, um, my mum... My mum was an amazing person and a very exciting and unpredictable and beautiful and enigmatic and a ton of dangerous, <laughs> exciting person to be around. Terrible, terrible sort of mother. And I, I was gonna, I was thinking, how can I sugarcoat that? Like, but actually, there is no sugarcoating it. She was a fun friend and she was a very exciting girlfriend, but not great at parenting. Mm. And so I was really worried that if I didn't have that, how was I going to recreate um, being a good mother? But I had the most amazing granny. Yeah. And I lived with her until I was 13. And then I moved in with my amazing stepmom. And my amazing stepmom taught me all the facts of life in a really no-nonsense, matter-of-fact, brilliant way where it wasn't embarrassing or I could literally ask her anything and she wouldn't go, oh, what? <laughs> she just would answer it, just really, and I'd think, oh, this is so good, I'm getting all the information that I need. Um, so I was lucky because I had two amazing role models and they're the ones that saw me through. Yeah. But I did also worry because my mum, I lived with my granny and so my mum had left me there when I was nearly four that what happens if I suddenly want to leave? Mm. Like, am I going to want to just go? Yeah. I never have. And we worry about so many things. I remember having children and then having these morbid thoughts after I'd had kids, like, if I'm in this car and if I go through this green light but somebody else has ignored the red light over there and they smash into the side of me, we'll all die. Mm. I used to have that a lot. And anybody that's having those, I it passed. Yeah. You know? And 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 being a mum, does it make you look at your mum in a, in a different way? In kind in kind of a in a softer way. Yeah, because mm. it is such an overwhelming time. Mm. I mean, I guess for me, looking at my mum, she was what twenty two, mm. twenty three when and she young. had me. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy young. Yeah, I was a drug addict. Yeah, at that age, so I can't judge her or her behaviour or what she did, and she just. She didn't have the tools. She didn't have the tools to do it. And I totally forgive her for that. When you think she's only, she was five years yeah. older than what your oldest is. Yes. Oh, Michael. Yeah. I mean, mad. Although my oldest, I look at my oldest now and she's desperate <laughs> for a baby. <laughs> I'm like, please, wait, Holly, wait. Rain in. And she then... loves babies so much. You know, one of those oh. ones we can't go anywhere. If there's a baby anywhere, she's like... Right in there. Well, we all are, to be fair. We're all a bit baby Everyone mad. loves a baby. Yeah, we all love a baby. I love a baby. I love Smelling them. them. Yeah, yeah. Squeezing them. Squishy. Oh, oh. <laughs> Squishy. <laughs> and, and talking about, you know, drug addiction and, mm. and things like that, uh, is there a way, I mean, you know, I've got yes, friends who have gone through addiction you. and stuff like that, you know, with your own children To safeguard. Yeah, like mm. how, I mean, it's I've got it's some good advice. Right? Yeah. So my tactic has been, and it's been a blinder so far, and it's mm. played out so far well, mm. um, is <clears throat> that you need to, by the time your kids are 12, they need to have been... or They need to have formed their own opinions of what's right and wrong, and you need to have helped them with that. Yeah. And their likes and dislikes and their kind of moral compass. That will all be formed by the time they're 12. Mm. And by that point, you almost need to say, right, I've done everything that I can as far as teaching because when they hit 13, 14, you cannot teach them anything. Other people can. You could teach my kids something. But anything I say is like, whatever, <laughs> whatever. But um, all my kids know that anything and nothing is off limits, any problem, any issue, you can just come and run it by me mm. and we'll talk it through. So up, like, up until they're 12, you've got all the facts of life to get through and puberty and um, obviously always with age-appropriate language yeah. all along the way. But information and education is armour, mm -hmm. I think, I usually try and inform them 
at the time when I think they're going to need it. So puberty for the girls was around nine or ten. Mm -hmm. And also they've asked questions. So Holly was asking me questions about how Chester got in my tummy when she was five. Right. So I got this book by Babette Cole, which is amazing, called Mummy Laid an Egg. (laughs) And it's so funny because you think she's going to ask me more questions. She uses amazing language, Babette Cole, like um, Daddy has a tube and the tube fits in Mummy. And um, he has um, some seeds in seed pods outside his body, which I think is amazing. (laughs) He's got some seeds and seed pods that are outside his body that go through the tube and they go and find an egg in mummy and that makes a baby. And I was thinking, Holly's going to say to me, uh, what's the tube and where does it fit in mummy and she's going to ask me all the questions so I read it slightly kind of wincing <laughs> thinking oh God, the questions are coming she didn't ask me anything she didn't ask me anything because that's all she needed to know at that yeah. age and then as she got older at 10, 11, 12 she's like the seed pods you know what are they oh, she'll ask me questions but I always just would just wait for her but always be honest mm. just be honest so my kids are informed, yeah. they're armed, and I want them to know that they can come to me uh, at any age and tell me anything and we'll work it out. Another amazing tip, and I know you're all miles away from teenagers, but this was the best bit of advice of advice I've ever been given, which was never say no to a teenager. And when I first heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> because the stuff that they're just going to come and talk to me about. Yeah. And Anyway, the amazing thing is, is like when my daughter comes to me and she goes, I want to come back from this party at one. I'm like, in my head, I'm going, not on your Nelly. <laughs> and then I say, well, let's sit down and talk about it. And I'll go, why do you want to come back at one? She's like, well, because all my friends are there and they're all going to be coming back later. And I go, can I call the mum and just find out? And then I'll find out that most people are getting picked up at 11.30 or something. <laughs> and I'll go, OK, how about we compromise? Because I wanted to pick you up at 11. How about midnight? Would that be all right? Yeah. And she'll go, yeah, OK. And then she feels like she's won. I feel like I've won a bit. And we don't have the slamming of the door and, I hate you, you never listen to... You know, all of that kind yeah. of stuff. We haven't had one of those yet because... You're I doing do, really well then. Yeah, I do. I listen to her. Yeah. But in because maybe, I don't know what I'm doing, literally, I'm just like anybody else I'm just trying to learn by my mistakes but mm. maybe because I'm listening to her she will in turn listen to me yeah which is quite nice because she'll go yeah no I do get the fact that you'll be tired and you've got to stay up till midnight because for me staying up till midnight is quite an effort <laughs> I mean at 10 30 I'm out really oh my god because you're someone that we all feel like mm. we know mm. and we all feel like you're our best mate how do you do tv Davina mum mm. and mm. you well um, and this is probably a bit before your time, but um, the kids used to watch a show called Hannah Montana with Miley Cyrus, and she was Hannah Montana um, in her professional <laughs> life, the singer. Yeah. And then she was Miley Cyrus, the nice country girl with her dad and um, her brother at home, you know, in the you daytime. You're a bit Miley Cyrus. And I'm a bit Miley Cyrus, <laughs> so there's Davina McCall, who's yeah. uh, on the telly. My kids don't see me as Davina McCall. No. Because I don't have them in the public eye, I never yeah. take them to any public events, so they don't enjoy the glitz and the glamour mm-hmm. of public Davina McCall. They don't get to go to premieres or anything, which when they were little, they were like, why can't we go? <laughs> so I've kept them out of all of that, prestigiously yeah. and... Um, I haven't regretted that at all. So I have had two quite separate lives, yeah. you know, one's work and one's home. But the thing I think that the major feeling that I had for the first 10 years of having children was guilt. Mm. I just felt guilty about everything. I felt guilty about going to work. I felt guilty when I came home that I wasn't being enough or I wasn't being on enough or... Um, I felt guilty that I was tired and I was really, really lucky at the Big Brother time of my life because Mm. I could work a three-day week or four-day week sometimes, but I did have a bit of time off where I could be with children and I know lots of mums don't have that luxury. I still felt guilty. Because you still had to go back like months after giving birth. I loved, loved, loved working. 
Mm. I mean, before I had babies, I worked a six or seven day week and loved every second of it. I was so grateful for my job. I loved it. When I had children, the day I had Holly, I looked at her and I thought, I never want to go to work again. Mm. How am I ever going to get my job? And my drive has come back probably in the last year. I've got my mojo back. Really? Proper, like, I am loving this again. Because actually, when the kids are little, you want to be with them all the time. Now that they all want to kind of go off and do other stuff and they've all got friends and Chester's off doing his sleepovers and he's kind of grown up quite a lot in the last year, everything changes. But it's interesting because I never thought that I'd turn into that person with almost no ambition. I just wanted to be at home. That is an ambition. Yes. I mean, it is an ambition, but I was the person that wanted to be out working all the time. And... Being a housewife wasn't something that I'd ever entertained, but that's all I wanted to be. Yeah, We'd set up a life, yeah. you know, that had to be maintained in some way. Mm-hmm. But I did manage to find, because I'm very, very, very lucky with my job, a really good balance between, you know, just working a three-day week and being able to really enjoy that and doing something that I knew I was good at because I loved Big Brother Yeah, and still get some time at home. But yeah. even then, still felt guilty. Mum gets all over there, isn't it? It's really hard. Did it stay with you now? Um, not so much now, because you know what's funny is that my my girls in particular, I guess they're older now, so they're able to voice it. They are so proud. So that that makes it all worthwhile, right? Yeah. They're proud of my work ethic. They're proud that that I do what I do. They're proud. They can see that I, you know, I work really hard to get here. That I got a lot of no's and that I never gave up and. Yeah. It's not so much proud of, oh, my mum is Davina McCall. It's proud of how I got there and how hard I got And are you very that. honest about, um, you know, your past and, uh, and... Oh, I've had to be. Yeah. Because they, you know, they have access to yeah. the internet. And so actually I had to be brutally honest quite early on. I mean, maybe when I thought that other kids at school might talk to them about it, maybe 10 or 11, I had right. to say that. But they knew that mummy went to meetings yeah um mummy's going to a meeting was part of their they grew up to mummy's going to meeting they just didn't know it was a narcotics anonymous meeting but i was <laughs> mummy was going to a meeting from when they were born yeah um and uh in fact i had a tuesday night meeting where i used to live that i'd started and um that was my regular meeting for many 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 years and so they just knew mummy was going to the meeting and then when they got to about 10 or 11 each of them mm-hmm. at about that age I'd say, let me explain what those meetings are, you know, that mummy had a problem and I stopped a long time ago and these meetings helped me stay yeah. on the straight and narrow. And um, and they were all really very accepting and they said, oh, well, I thought it was something like that and is that why you don't drink? I mean, they kids know stuff, yeah. you know. you Like, I never really give them credit for all the stuff that they know, but they're very sort of smart like that. Well, I, I think that's... And I also think that the, the, the way that you are, that you post on social media is, yeah. is fantastic. Oh, thank uh, you. I just think you're so empowering, you're so inclusive, you're so uh, almost approachable and relatable. And, um, and I think that's great because I think when you admire someone on TV for so long and they go on social media, you don't know who, you don't know who that person's going mm. to be. Mm. And you are everything and more than I hoped you would be. Oh. Um, I just think you're great. God, yeah, thank you. I think you're great. I like many of your photos. Um, <laughs> so at the end of every podcast, uh, I ask my guests to complete three sentences. Uh, so the first one is being a mum means? Um, being selfless for me. I think always putting my kids first and also has healed me mm. in a huge way. Yeah. Since having children, I... I have learnt so much about myself and have been taught so much by them. Probably the biggest thing of all is patience. I was quite impatient before. I was quite like, I want it and I want it now. Addict, you know. And they have taught me that if you do something quickly, you'll probably end up having to do it again. (laughs) So just give them the time, take time, like, and just be patient. And in fact, I'm enjoying life more because of that. They've taught me that. Lovely. And I'm happy when? Oh, I'm happy when we're all together. 
I mean, that's a no-brainer. And as your kids get older, you will see they all want to go to different places at different mm-hmm. times. But when there are those rare moments or on holiday, when we're all together, oh, my goodness, we laugh so much. I mean, and they always say to me, Mummy, you laugh at everything. <laughs> everything we say, everything we do. I said, that's because you're all hilarious. You're amazing. Um, so we laugh a lot. And the other thing, sorry. That's all right. I'm sorry, but I just love having kids so much. Um, the other really great thing about kids is that I know what's, what songs are in the top 40. <laughs> and I went through a long time of not having any idea of that, any kind of current music. And my kids are making me cool again. There this you great. go. I'm so uncool at the moment. But I was in, so uncool. Years, I'm going to be it there. comes back. <laughs> and then in 15 years, because I'll be really uncool again, you need to help me. <laughs> Don't Gee, worry. <laughs> I'm going to send you my playlist. There we go. Please yeah? do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I'll yeah. start listening. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being the first guest on Series 2 of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. I could it's stay here all night. It's quite dangerous, isn't it? Well, podcasts are very dangerous. They are. I always feel like I reveal way too much in a podcast. <laughs> the last time I did a podcast, it ended up with me sending the rock secret messages and wanting to marry him. So oh my I have, gosh, I saw I've, that! I've never even met him. I don't know him. I've nothing like that was from a podcast, so God knows what's going to come out of this. But anyway, don't I, worry, I think I love amazing. you. I love, I love you. you. I love you. Yeah, no, but I love you back. No, I love you more. <laughs> That's it from us. Thank you very, very much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.